Boker Tov, good morning everyone. Welcome <clears throat> to the Aliyah day on this fourth day of the week. It's a uh, joy, a privilege, an honor, a uh, great excitement to be with you today as we get to study the uh, word of Adonai, the Torah of Hashem together from uh, all over the world. Everybody watching from uh, all over the fruited plain, as it were. This is, uh, as I said, the fourth Aliyah. We are in the Art Scroll Chumash on page 627, chapter 14, and the fourth Aliyah is going to begin in verse 33. So let's read this Aliyah. It has to do with uh, finding Zarat in the house and what happens, what do we do if we found Zarat in the house and how do we resolve it. So it's very uh, few a few interesting insights here it says adonai spoke to moshe and aaron saying when you arrive in the land of canaan that i give you as a possession so this happens only in the land of israel there are mitzvahs that ha- happen only in the land of israel as i said there was a messianic guy a couple years ago who wrote a book talking about the Shemitah year and was the, talking about Wall Street. He predicted that there was going to be a, a, a crash of the stock market, I forget, in 16 or something like that. Of course, none of that happened. Um, it sold a lot of books. Everybody talked about it for a year or so, and uh, it was all a bunch of nonsense. And one of the reasons it was nonsense is because you cannot apply Shemitah to the United States. It only can apply to Israel. So... Um, but evidently, this person didn't know that, so they're making all kind of predictions. The world's going to end, Mashiach's going to come, stock market's going to crash, uh, all this chaos. And uh, so the day came, absolutely nothing happened, not one thing happened. And uh, did somebody come back and say, hey, I was wrong? No. But anyway, I digress. So you can only have Zaret in the uh, land of Israel. So as Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron, saying, when you arrive in the land of Canaan, that I give you as possession, I will make a Zarat affliction upon a house in the land of your possessions. The one to whom the house belongs shall come and declare to the Kohen, saying, Something like an affliction has appeared to me in the house. The Kohen shall command, and they shall clear the house before the Kohen comes to look at the affliction, so that everything in the house should not become contaminated, and afterward the Kohen come to look at the house. So again, this is an indication, just to highlight the point we've made several times this week, that this is not a, a natural disease. Why? Because it's saying here, listen, before the Cohen shows up, get everything out of the house. Why? Because if he says it's contaminated, then everything in the house <coughs> will therefore be contaminated. Well, if it's a natural disease, then that doesn't make any sense at all because either the stuff is contaminated or it's not. doesn't matter if somebody says, hey, it's contaminated. So obviously, this is a spiritual disease and what the word of the Kohen says matters. Now, there was an insight to, um, I believe it was Pituke Holtam who brought down some gematria of the phrase Ha-Kohen, which has the gematria of both Adonai and Yah. So he was bringing down that there is a mystical view here, that the Kohen ultimately being talked about here is Hashem, blessed be he. That when Hashem makes the proclamation, the proclamation is made. Verse 37, 
He shall look at the affliction and behold, the affliction is in the walls of the house, depressions, deep greens or deep reds, and their appearance is lower than the wall. The Kohen shall exit from the house to the entrance of the house, and he shall quarantine the house for a seven-day period. The Kohen shall return on the seventh day. He shall look and behold, the affliction has spread in the walls of the house. The Kohen shall command... And they shall remove the stones that contain the affliction. They shall cast them outside the city unto a contaminated place. And the house shall be scraped, and the inside all around, the mortar that they have scraped, they are to pour outside the city onto a contaminated place. And they shall take other stones and bring them in place of the stones, and they shall take other mortar and plaster in the house. If the affliction returns and erupts in the house after... He has removed the stones after he has scraped the house and after plastering. Then the Kohen shall come and look, and behold, the affliction had spread in the house. It is a malignant zarat in the house. It is contaminated. Verse 45. He shall demolish the house, uh, its stones, its timber, and all the mortar of the house. They shall take it to the outside of the city to contaminate a place. Anyone who comes into the house during all the days that he has quarantined, Quarantined it, Slika. It shall be contaminated until evening. But one who reclines in the house shall immerse his garments, and one who eats in the house shall immerse his garments. Verse 48. If the Kohen is to come and look and behold, the affliction has not spread in the house after the plastering of the house, then the Kohen shall declare the house to be pure, for the affliction has healed. To purify the house, he shall take two birds, cedar wood, crimson thread, and hyssop. Remember, we talked about those yesterday, the significance of those three things, the uh, birds that chatter or twitter, the uh, cedar wood, the tall cedar makes uh, indicates that the person is proud. Crimson is comes from the uh, worm, so we have to be low like a worm. And hyssop is a very lowly plant, so it also speaks of humility. So the, the way to, in which to overcome... Zarat, which is also to overcome Lashan Hara. The way that we overcome Lashan Hara is through humility. Because if we're humble, if we think that we're dust and ash, then we won't be running our mouth talking about other people because, uh, you know, who are we compared to them? So it says here in verse 50, He shall slaughter the one bird in an earthen vessel over the spring water. He shall take the cedar wood and hiss up the crimson tide and the live bird, and he shall dip them into the blood and the of the slaughtered bird, and into the spring water, and he shall sprinkle upon the house seven times. He shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird, and with the spring water, with the live bird, and with the cedar wood, with the hyssop, and with the crimson thread. He shall set the live bird free toward the outside of the city upon the open field. Thus he shall provide atonement for the house, and it shall become pure." That's the last verse of the fourth Aliyah. So looking at some insights here from Rabbi Monk. He has a lot of uh, interesting things to say. As I said, first off the bat, this can happen only in Israel. It says here, the Zaharat affliction of houses occurs only in the land of Israel. Something else that happens only in the land of Israel is the ability to be a... Um, uh, what do you call it? A uh, I just went blank. I just went blank. Uh, a alien, a resident alien. Thank you. I'm so sorry. I just went blank on my mind there. 
So we have, uh, there's an idea that sprung up not too long ago because, again, in, in certain realms, the idea of trying to keep the Messianic Gentile theology alive, um, very often we find ourselves uh, grasping for straws. Some people find themselves, I should say, grasping um, for, um, for straws on that arena. And so they came up with this concept that, oh, look, uh, you could be a resident alien because there was some discussion in the uh, Talmud of what it would mean to be a, um, a someone, a, a ger toshav, someone who is a resident alien, that someone who is living amongst the people of Israel, but they're not really an idolater, they're not really fully Jewish, but there's some, uh, there's some uh, stipulations they can live by, and then therefore they could be kosher, and some, some uh, teachers were saying, aha, here we go, here is the precedent for the Messianic Gentile. The only problem with that is that you're not, uh, first and foremost, the, the main problem is that it was completely academic. There were never, ever, ever in history, according to scholars, never actually any Gertoshavs, ever. It was all an academic exercise. It was all a big what if. Uh, the, uh, the rabbis were sitting around, they were sitting around, uh, uh, you know, Hebrews coffee shop having some uh, Turkish coffee. And they were talking about the possibility as they were eating a blueberry scone, what would happen if we had this happen? And so they, they were discussing the possibility. And once they finished their coffee and finished their uh, blueberry scone, they left uh, never to see a Gertoshav again, or ever, to begin with. Uh, so it was uh, all a discussion of academics. But the other problem with it is, you cannot be a Gertoshav outside the land of Israel, period. And even if you lived in Israel, you still couldn't be a Gertoshav today. Why? Because there's no Sanhedrin. So without a Sanhedrin, and there is, by the way, there is not a Sanhedrin in Israel. You know, somebody sent me an article the other day and said, was uh, from some Israeli news source, I don't know, and uh, it said, the Sanhedrin sent a letter to President Trump. I wrote the person back says, there's no Sanhedrin in Israel. It's fake news. Now, I understand there's some group that's trying to form a Sanhedrin, but you should understand that all that's just some group. It's not official. Nothing's official. There is not a Sanhedrin in Israel, period. 100% fact. Okay. And most likely there won't be until Mashiach comes, maybe soon our time, and the third temple is built. So it was silly. I got the articles, but this, and I'm sure the quote-unquote air quotes Sanhedrin did send the president a letter. I mean, maybe they did, but it's not, I don't know. I I should send the president a letter and say the Sanhedrin sent him a letter. I mean, that's how about how, how uh, uh, valuable that is. But anyway. I digress. So you can't be a Gertoshav unless you're in Israel and there's a Sanhedrin. So, so much for that theology. You see, it's just easier to say convert, isn't it? If we just say convert, then we don't have to go through all this uh, rigmarole. And I want to find out what rigmarole is. I've been saying it for years. I have no idea what that is. Anyway, it says... <clears throat> So, a wonders of this kind is a sign of Hashem's special concern for the sinner, and they're reserved only for the land in which the Shekinah dwells close to men. So, when you go to Israel, you feel particularly close to God. This is why some Jews 
who maybe they don't wear a kippah normally. When they go to Israel, they'll wear one. Why? Because they, they feel as if they've entered into a type of Shemayim. So it says, this is why the Midrash introduces its treatment of this passage with King David's words. Hashem is close to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him sincerely. So when the Midrash is talking about this passage, it, it actually starts the whole conversation with that verse from King David talking about the nearness of God. So when we are in the land of Israel, we're so near God that the possibility of Zarat breaking out in our house has that possibility. So Rabbi Hirsch puts forward a moral argument to explain why certain afflictions he, uh, are restricted to the Holy Land. He says, he says that the, the side of a Jew's character that is most easily affected by the harmful influence of his environment is his social behavior. Many examples, he says, show that individuals who kept their faithful attachment to the Torah yielded to the demands of their environment and their relationship with other people, even going against the Torah's teaching. So this is just an, a, a reminder that bad company corrupts good character. This is why we have to make sure that we have the right friends. That we have the right friends and, and that our friends are, our close friends, people that we are close to, that we fellowship with, that we have to make sure that these people are people who are in the covenant. And it's not to say that you can't have friends that are not, that are outside the covenant because that's one way in which we are able to be a light to people. But you just have to be careful because if you have too many friends that aren't kosher, that aren't shomer, then uh, that is going to eventually lead you to be not Shomer. It's just a fact of life. It's a reality of life. For some reason, the negative forces have a uh, profound impact on good behavior. I would also add that sometimes we have people who are in the covenant that are also not good influences. Like if you have somebody that is a friend of yours and they're in the covenant, they're Shomer, but maybe they just have a bad attitude and they, and, and they are constantly negative. They speak a lot of lashon hara. They're they just they have a, a, a the, the proverbial eeyore attitude. You have to be careful about that as well because, uh, well, just like Ramban writes in his letter, um, he he says you got to avoid somebody who has an anger problem. Why? He says it right there. It's in it's in the book if you have it, the letter for the ages, and I think the second chapter. Um, but he says because. If you hang around somebody who's got an anger problem, you too will develop an anger problem. He says it right there. So just an example, just a reminder, I should say, um, of, of what to be careful with when we're making people our friends. Uh, because the reality is we, come, we become like the people we're around. And listen, that, this, that, that point I just made becomes oh so poignant when you are dealing with people um, in the prison system. You find out that the reason they're there, one of the chief reasons, is they hang around people that are also in the prison system. And so we encourage people when they get out, listen, you've got to find new friends. You've got to find different people to hang around. Um, people that will spur you in the right direction, that will encourage you in that direction, right? And not constantly try to pull you down. 
So it says here, uh, and I will place. So this is an affliction. It says here, I'm going to bring you in the land of of Israel, of, of Israel then uh, to give you as a possession, and I will place Zarat. So again, an example of uh, a fact that this is a spiritual disease because it says Hashem places this in our homes, right? This is what it says in the Torah. It's This comes from God. There's some different reasons for that, um, which we're going to get to in just a second. It says, one of the discussions in the Midrash is from Vayikra Rabbah, is that this passage is, is actually talking perhaps mystically about the base Hamikdash, about the temple. As it says, the good news would be that in the case of punishment becomes necessary in future generations, the divine anger will vent itself on the buildings of the temple, that is against wood and stone, not against the living beings. Now we brought this out before from the Midrash, that God's promise to Moses was that, listen, if the people need to be punished, I will take it out on the temple. I will whip the temple with lashes and destroy the temple. And so, as we know, there were two temples. And one got destroyed because of our sin. The second one got destroyed because of our sin. And in the Midrash, Moses Moses asked God, what happens when there's no temple uh, upon which you can carry out their punishment. In other words, and it uses the term collateral. There's no collateral for them. And it says in the Midrash that God tells him, I will take one, one righteous man in that case to be collateral for them. Now, obviously it's talking about Yeshua. Obviously. And Yeshua even said, did he not? I, you know, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. He recognized that he was that ultimate temple that was going to be punished for our sins. And so this discussion about Zaroth in the house is a is kind of an allusion to that reality. Now there's something else that's that's uh, brought out in this discussion that that ultimately, um, as some of the sages say, that contrary, or I, I should say, uh, it seems counterintuitive. But Zaharat would break out in the homes of the most righteous in Israel. Why? Because Zaharat was a, an affliction <clears throat> that was intended to bring the person to a hyper-refined um, teshuva. Because as Yeshua taught, who that the, there there is a sin deep down in the heart and and out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so it's easy listen if if we're running around acting like a, a goy that's you know that's easy that's not necessarily a refined sin we just need to become uh we need to make teshuva and become followers of Hashem but what if you're already a follower of Hashem what if you are very devout you're very righteous you really your entire life is devoted to God, and God says, okay, I get that, but really deep down in your heart, 
I see that there are some things that need to be dealt with. And you may not even realize it. They're so subtle because the sages talk about Lashon Hara. Sometimes Lashon Hara, it's not like you're just walking around. It's not like you have the, the, the Twitter account that you're intentionally trying to bash people with. But sometimes you just make statements. They're very innocent, but, but they're harmful. And so we, that's why they say it's kind of a casual sin. We don't really know it sometimes. And so the purpose of Zarat was to bring that sin to the surface, no pun intended, so that we thought, oh my gosh, it's there. This is why we pray the prayer very often. God, please reveal to me anything in my heart that I really need to deal with that I, maybe I'm ignoring or maybe I'm just, I don't even see. Uh, and very often this happens, just, it happens in, with respect to anti-Semitism. This is why we have the class on the history and effects of anti-Semitism because many people... Uh, especially uh, ex-Christians come into this walk and they're resistant. They, they, they're resistant to the mitzvahs, they're resistant to the Talmud, they're resistant to, to Judaism, to, to, be, to, to pharisaical thought. Um, they love God and they love the Messiah and they love God's word. Uh, they love, the, let's put this in perspective. They love, they love the God of Israel. They love the Messiah of Israel they love the scripture of Israel, but they don't want to be Israel. Let me, let me just change the wording because sometimes Israel is not such a bad word. They love the God of the Jews. They love the Messiah of the Jews. They love the Torah of the Jews, but they don't want to be a Jew. And so where does that come from? Uh, what's the resistance all about? And the answer to that is anti-Semitism. It's anti Now, many people, when I say that, they're like, I'm not anti-Semitic. I would never put a Jew in a gas chamber. Well, my friends, you can be racist without wanting to lynch somebody. You can be prejudiced without wanting to murder somebody. You can be an anti-Semite without wanting to put somebody in a concentration camp. Since when is anti-Semitism and or racism have to go hand in hand with murder? You can be a prejudiced person without killing somebody. Okay? So we have to recognize our prejudice. We have to recognize our anti-Semitism. Now, how, do we, how does this happen? How does somebody become an anti-Semite? Well, the reason it's so prevalent among Christians and ex-Christians is because when you were baptized into the church, you were baptized into the faith of the church fathers, ultimately. And if you've ever read the church fathers' writings, it, in, some, in some cases, it makes Hitler look like a schoolboy. And so that spirit enters your soul. Don't even know it's there. So brings me all the way back to this. Sometimes Hashem allows that Zarat to come to the surface so that we can deal with it. And people say to me, I don't know. This all sounds good, but I'm not so sure I want to be Jewish. And I said, well, that's anti-Semitic thought. <gasps> How can you dare call me that? No, 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 no. This, this is Zarat that's come to the surface so that you know that there's something in your heart that has to be dealt with because it doesn't make any sense. Why you don't want to be, you serve the God of the Jews, you believe in the Messiah of the Jews, you have the scripture of the Jews, you wouldn't know any of this, you wouldn't know about heaven or hell or Messiah or anything about anything if it wasn't for the Jews, but you don't want to be a Jew. doesn't make any sense. It's totally, totally illogical. And so there's many examples I could say, but I'll leave it there. But so this is a good thing, this Zaharat. Here's the practical good thing. In 
the Midrash explains and Rashi brings down that during the entire 40 years while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, the uh, Amorites knew that they were on their way. So they, what they did is they hid their treasures in the walls of their houses. So going back to the concept that the righteous are the ones that would have the Zaharat affliction because God is dealing with them on a, on a deep level. Sometimes it became necessary for them to bust down the walls of their houses, break down the walls of their houses in order to get the Zarat out. And guess what would happen when they did that? All of a sudden you're like, man, I've got this Zarat. I'm so embarrassed. I don't know what's going on. God is helping me deal with stuff. Why does he not like me? I thought I was working in his favor. I thought I was doing good. And you're just mad because you're breaking out the plaster in your house. And all of a sudden, 150 solid gold coins fall out. Sometimes Hashem allows us to go through things. Sometimes he allows us to deal or have to go through struggles and trials and things of that nature. Why? Because he's trying to get the gold extracted from our walls and into our pockets. This is the reality of life. Look back at your own life. You say, well, I walked through that. I really didn't want to go through that. Yeah, but look what happened. What was the end result? It all depends on our attitude at Teshuvah. And just think about this. Once the Zarat broke out in the people's house, they were following God's will as to how to get rid of it. And in the course of doing that, found the hidden treasures of the Amorites. When we follow God's will, we will inevitably find those hidden treasures. Rabbi Shimon declares that, um, brings out an interesting insight here. He said that one of the reasons why Zarat would bring out, would, would burst forth is that Sometimes the, uh, the paganism that happened in that house was so intense that God was showing that this whole house has been infected with a, a foul spirit and, and needs to be broken, broken down and, and, and replaced. As I read that, I was thinking that this is why we cannot, and God warns us and tells us many times, we cannot mix our Judaism with some other religion. And this is what gets people into a lot of trouble. This is why I opened up my uh, class on conversion with don't, do not attempt to take your previous faith, and a lot of times it's Christianity, do not attempt to, to take that and somehow meld it or mesh it or marry it to Lapid Judaism. It's not going to work. In the same way that we cannot redeem pagan holidays, you cannot take pagan holidays, no matter what pagan holiday it is, and make it now a holiday for God. It does not work. God does not honor it. It does not. It is completely antithetical to everything stated in Scripture. You cannot marry two faiths together. And when we try to do that, it's, it fails. Which is one of the reasons why the sages say that a Gentile who studies the Torah is deserving of death. Now, not everybody has that opinion. Just stick with me for a second. Some people read that and they think, because they, you know, they, 
they saw an anti-Semitic Hebrew Roots article online, and so now they, they believe this kind of stuff. But they don't understand what the sages are saying. Because in another place, they say a, a Gentile who studies the Torah is like the Kohen Gadol. Well, what's the difference? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. A Gentile who studies the Torah is deserving of death over here, and then this Gentile who studies the Torah over here is like the Kohen Gadol. What's going on? Well, it depends. If the Gentile over here who's studying the Torah, because he wants to integrate Torah into his pagan life, he deserves death. In other words, he wants to paganize Jewish holidays. He wants to bring his Jewish holiday into his pagan religion and just kind of meld the two together. That deserves death. But if the Gentile over here is studying God's word because he wants to convert, he wants to, to make his life mold to the Bible. Over here, you've got somebody who wants to mold the Bible to their life. Over on the other hand, you have somebody who wants to mold their life to the Bible. That one is like the Kohen Gadol. We're over here. This one deserves death. It all depends on whether or not somebody is trying to bring contamination in or take contamination out. What we learned through all this process is that negativity, to include spiritual negativity, can affect natural things. Now, this is not new. This is not profound. We know this to be true. This is why people play classical music to their plants. It says here in another statement, selfishness is vice that corrupts the whole atmosphere of a house, touching even its walls. There is a, um, a statement colloquially where we say cleanliness is next to godliness. Why? Why do we say that? <clears throat> because the reality is, is that filth and disorder is a sign of a spiritual problem. This is why it's important. I believe personally, I believe it's important to do our best to keep our, our rooms, our homes, our cars, our desks, uh, whatever, um, in order. Now, things get messed up. Things get dirty. I mean, you know, it, it's, we all know that. The, the, my desk sometimes is, is a, a hot mess because I've got things going on. But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, from time to time, we need to walk into those areas and say, okay, time to clean this up. It, and, and, and I don't mean like walk into that area like a year later. I mean like a week or two uh, later, you know, making it happen or maybe the next day, you know what I mean? But if we have a, if we live in a constant state of filth and disorder, that is a spiritual problem. That is, that is, that in my opinion, that is a symptom of a spiritual problem. And so the, the little cliche cleanliness is next to godliness has a lot of truth in it. The reality is if selfishness and idolatry and negativity can affect even our home and its atmosphere, then what can godliness and amuna and righteousness do? And so we have to understand that as we are uh, fulfilling the mitzvot of God, then we are, we are literally affecting in a positive way the very foundation stones of our houses and our grass and our flowers and everything associated with our homes. Which is why I'm a firm believer in having uh, nice, uh, 
either Jewish music or classical music playing all the time in my home and in my office because I believe that those that good music, with, again, whether it's Jewish music or maybe some nice classical music, I believe has a positive effect on the very walls of my office or my home and me. And I, I believe that with my whole heart. So we have to understand that uh, we, in, in the Western mindset, we have, an, we have a propensity to try to separate or compartmentalize the spiritual from the natural, um, which goes back to the grace versus law concept. And the reality is it's all one package. And that's what I want you to see this morning. Um, so much more to share. I'm going to... I know we've been trying to get to the Lashon Hara concept. There's some issues here, or not issues, but some discussions here about um, the community and Lashon Hara. We're going to save that tomorrow because I've got some things I've been wanting to share for the last couple of days from the Midrash Tankuma. Just some reminders on that, but we will save that for tomorrow because we are out of time here on the Aliyah day. So, I want you to have a beautiful, wonderful, and magnificent day. I look forward to seeing everybody tomorrow. Oh, don't forget, tonight uh, we have our, our uh, um, weekly uh, Midrash here at the synagogue. We've got classes for kids. We've got the conversion classes going on. And we have the Torah to Basora class with the Met in the, in the upper room. And so y'all should really come. If you're if you don't if you're not used to coming on on Wednesday nights, you really should come and and uh, we have things going on for the whole family, so it's really exciting, and we want you to be a part of it and not miss out on all the amazing teaching. So, shalom and blessings. Look forward to seeing everybody tomorrow. Have a great, beautiful day.